Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvig. your host Kurt Sandvig and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac let's take a look at spontaneous human combustions plus did a UFO just crash in Brazil this week but first as always we have shout outs please for my this one time the only time I'm ever going to ask you this don't skip the shout outs please listen to this we have shout outs to Aaron Aaron Adam Ah, Monsters! Lauren and David, Alicia, Amber, Andrew, April, Ashley, Audra, Austin, Autumn, Bill, Bob, Brandon, Carolyn, Carolyn, Carrie, Chris, Chuck, Cindy, Cindy, Cole, Krista, Dan, Dill, Dave, and Sean, Donald, Dorian, Erie the Cat, Elliot, Erica, Ezra, Fran, Dan, Harley, Harry, ooh, crap, what is it, uh, what did he want to be? Harry the Bassist, that's what it is, Harry the Bassist, how you doing, Harry? Hayden, Heidi, I, Isabel, J. Mark, Jade, Jaime, Jason, Jason, Jeff, B, Jeff, T, Jennifer, Jared, Jerry, Jim, Joe, John, Joshua, Juliana, Karen, Carrie, Casey, Kelly, Carrie, Kim, Kira, Christine, Lash, Laura, Laura Rutho, Lauren Mangano, and Phil, Lauren McCune, Lawrence, Leo, Lindsay, Loki, Lorelai, I'm Caballero, Martin, Matt, Megan, Megan, Mickey, Eric, Nanashi, Nick, Nick, Pablo, Paula, Rachel, Robin, Rosa, Russell, Sarah, Sean Bishop, Seth, Shelley, Suzanne, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Tanya, Trey, Veronica, what's that? Will, and Gio. Plus, I'd like to give a very special, all-time very special shout-out to one of my best friends in the world, Joe Teague. Joe, this one's for you, buddy. And with that, let's get to Paranormal News. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Paranormal News. Scottish witchcraft book published online. The pages of a 350-year-old book used to record the names of those accused of witchcraft in Scotland have been published online. The names of witches from the 1658 collection was drawn up during a time when the persecution of supposed witches was rife. Was rife. The book also lists the towns where the accused live and notes of confession. It is believed many were healers practicing traditional folk medicine. Some of the notes give small insights into the lives of those accused. It is recorded that the spouse of Agnes Agnes Watson from Dumbarton is Umquil, deceased basically. A majority of those accused of witchcraft were women, although the records revealed that some men were also persecuted. John Gilchrist and Robert Semple from Dumbarton are, re are recorded as sailors. A James Larile of Alloway Air, man, Man, none of these names can be real. Alloway Air is noticed as clenched, in other words, cleaned or made clean, while Mr. 
Lyle's fate is unclear. The term probably meant banishment or death. So the passing of the Scottish Witchcraft Act in 1563 made witchcraft or consulting with witches capital crimes in Scotland. It's estimated that between 3,000 and 5,000 women were publicly accused of being witches in the 16th and 17th century Scotland, a much higher, than, a much higher number than in England. The outbreak of witch hunting in the years 1658 to 1662, the period in which the list of the names was created, is generally seen to represent the high watermark of persecution of accused witches in Scotland. In many cases, the victims were healers, part of a traditional of part of a tradition of folk medicine. Their treatment sometimes helped poor communities, but accusations of witchcraft could crop up if they did not work. So anyhow, the book has been published by the uh, by Ancestry. So if you want to go and check it out to see if any of your relatives are on there, any of your ancestors were accused witches, if you will, well, it's right there on Ancestry, so give it a shot. Let me know if any Sandvigs pop up. Up next in paranormal news, even more information about those UFOs in the U.S. Navy has surfaced, and I mean a lot more. There are dozens of news stories that I could read to you about it, but the big one is... The U.S. Navy has released incident reports from pilots describing their encounters with the UFOs, including one detailing a silver object the size of a suitcase. Basically, eight incident reports released this week by the U.S. Navy had revealed new details about a series of encounters between Navy pilots and UFOs off the U.S. East Coast. The reports filed to the Navy Safety Center were obtained by military website The Drive following a Freedom of Information Act and subsequently by CNN. Each of the eight incidents occurred in a patch of airspace off the coasts of Virginia and North Carolina, with all but one occurring between 2013 and 2014. The reporter referred to the UFOs as unidentified aerial devices. We all know that. So we all know about this story. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but the most important part is a pilot is describing one object seen in November 2013 as having an approximately five-foot wingspan, was colored white with no other distinguishable features. Another pilot in December 2013 received receiving small white visual returns at the location where the radar had identified an unidentified object. A pilot in June 2013 seeing an aircraft that was, quote, white in color and approximately the size of a drone or a missile. These reports note that the pilots were una unable to identify who was piloting the drone-like aircrafts. However, after the June 2013 incident, the Navy noted that unmanned aerial vehicles pose a significant mid-air collision threat. So now that we're getting a little bit more descriptions, a lot of them do sound like drones. Even in 2013, I'm sure the military had drones that match these descriptions that can do these amazing things. It's leading me to believe more and more that what we're seeing is probably man-made, but based off of extraterrestrial UFOs. We've reversed technology. We've used reverse technology to figure out how to build these things that can turn and move the way that they do, but they're drones. They're not manned. And that's just as spooky or scary or cool or however you want to say it as if they were saying, hey, I looked in the window and I saw a little gray alien looking back at me. I mean, obviously I would like that a little bit better, but the fact that we have this technology leads us to believe or leads me to believe, I should say, that we got this technology from someone else. We didn't make it up ourselves by any stretch of the imagination. And up next in paranormal news, a very interesting article from Wired saying, will the New York Times ever stop reporting on UFOs? By far the weirdest thing about this story is that it keeps on showing up. 
In December 2017, the New York Times published a front-page story about a shadowy UFO Pentagon program that investigated encounters between Navy fighter pilots and, yep, UFOs, and everybody is still reporting on it almost three years later. These stories are not going away. In fact, we're getting more and more information every month, every week, really. Look, this is the biggest part of disclosure right here. We're being inundated with UFO stories until the point where nobody cares anymore. Everybody is so concerned with COVID-19 or the president or whatever the hell else that's going on that we just don't have the the brain pe capacity, the, the scope to say like, okay, there's UFOs as well. I got to focus on that. No, there's too much batshit crazy stuff going on. It is the perfect time to slowly but surely get out a ton of UFO stories before it's just not a big deal. It's just that, it's what it is. Yep, UFOs are real. And a little bit bizarre one, not really UFOs, but technically UFOs, US Navy laser creates plasma UFOs. Basically, the US Navy has patented technology to create mid-air images to fool infrared and other sensors. This builds on many years of laser plasma research and offers a game-changing method of protecting aircraft from heat-seeking missiles. It may also provide a clue about the source of some of the recent UFO sightings by military aircraft. Basically, the story goes on to talk about heat-seeking missiles and how we can get rid of these or how we can fool heat-seeking missiles so they don't take out our planes. So they started using laser-induced plasma filaments, and these can be created at some distance for the, uh, from the laser for tens or hundreds of meters. Because LIPFs conduct electricity, they have investigated as a mean of triggering lightning or creating a lightning gun. It's really freaky. They show a little photo of the U.S. Army lightning gun experiment. And yeah, they're shooting lightning straight at a car, it looks like. But um, the Navy declined to discuss the project, but the work is described in a 2018 patent wherein a laser source is mounted on the back of the air vehicle and wherein the laser source is configured to create a laser-induced plasma and wherein the laser-induced plasma acts as a decoy for incoming threats to the air vehicles. So yeah, basically, they're using lasers and plasma to create something that can fool heat-seeking technology. I thought that one was pretty cool. I mean, if this is the stuff that we know about, like I keep saying all the time, if this is the stuff that we know about, what the hell don't we know about? What do they have that we don't know about? Alrighty, that about does it for paranormal news. So... Let's get into the first topic, which is technically paranormal news because it happened this week. Did a UFO crash in Brazil on Tuesday? Before I do this, though, I have to figure out how to pronounce the title, the, uh, the town's name. Magé. Magé. All right, that's kind of what I would have said. I would have said Magé anyway. So let's get right into this. Here's what we know. On Tuesday, May 12th, that's right, this past week, Tuesday, in the small town of Magé in Brazil, people started seeing things in the sky. First, there was a video of a triangular set of lights that seemed to turn on its own axis and a bunch of small white lights, which sadly just aren't clear enough for me to be anything substantial. I can tell you that Spacelink satellites were not overhead Magé that night. So it was not the biggest thing that everybody confuses for UFOs. It was not the Spacelink satellites. People were not seeing those. And the, and the triangular set of lights, 
There is something to that. It's substantial. It also appears that helicopters were near or maybe even chasing after the lights in a couple of videos. The videos all said that helicopters were seen chasing the UFO. Honestly, this is just me. I could be wrong. But honestly, from me watching all the stuff that I could find about this, I could not find videos that, that clearly showed me. So I would say, yep, that helicopter is definitely chasing that little white light. Now, there is, in one video, a bluish-green explosion, burst of light, something happened in those jungles, woods, whatever you want to call it, in that area where a light was seen going down. So there's little blue lights or white lights or orange lights are seen in these videos. Now, the problem is, now I can't find the video of the light coming down rapidly, then exploding like so many people have said they saw. Now, trust me, I watched at least 50 videos of blurry lights over Maje this week. But anyhow, back to the story. So supposedly this light came down into the jungle, the woods, whatever you want to call it. There was a bluish green explosion, if you will. Then the military did move in. Now this part is true, including a KC-390 Brazilian air defense plane that was seen flying over the area. That is 100% true. There are videos of the KC-390 Brazilian air defense plane flying over the area. And videos from that night and the next day do have the sounds of gunshots or explosions coming from that general area. But thanks to Reddit and a bunch of people like scouring that area, I did find out that area has a military training base right there. So it could just be the military training base and have nothing to do with the lights in the sky. I don't know. I'm trying to do the skeptic approach to this, trying to debunk everything that I can debunk. Now, I can tell you that private helicopters have been spotted over the area, and locals say there is an increased military presence in that area blocking people from going over there. So something happened, but I can't, I can't say what it was. Now, here's where it gets weird, or weirder, or however you want to say it. Hashtag MajeUFO were taken down from YouTube, Reddit, and Twitter for the first 48 hours. That's true, and that's weird. Then it seems like everything was back to normal, and posts are kept up, and nothing, was el nothing else was taken down. And I don't know why that would be if there's nothing really to those videos. Every video I saw was not clear enough for me to go, oh, wow, they shot down an American drone, or, oh, that's the uh, stealth fighter, or whatever. You know, there was nothing that substantial. But for some reason, anything with that hashtag, MajeUFO, was taken down for 48 hours. Now, again, depending where you get your source, and it's really hard to kind of disseminate everything and figure out what's true and what's not, and what's on Reddit that's actually at Maje and what's being posted that has absolutely nothing to it, but it's got that hashtag because it makes people go, whoa, that's a cool video. It's really hard to figure out what's real and what's not. Besides the fact that everything coming out of Maje is in Portuguese, I don't speak Portuguese, made it even harder, but supposedly people that were flying their drones over that area had their drones shot, down, shot out of the sky, just shot down. And people were stopped and turned away by the local military, 
when they would call their police or call the fire department, the police and fire department would say, nothing is going on. There's nothing over there. Everything is fine. Even though there's an increased military presence and you can't get anywhere near that site. Now I can't find one reputable video of the crash site. There's a couple, both of them are basically the same and both of those are bullshit to the nth degree. Now I posted one of these supposed crash site videos on the Facebook page, but uh, trust me, it is utter bullshit. It is a metallic dog bowl shoved into the dirt the video is not even that good, not even that convincing, yet everybody keeps posting it a billion times saying, this woman got past the military and walked up to the crash site and look at this amazing video. This is proof positive that UFOs are real. Look, you want proof positive that UFOs are real? Look at all of the Navy UFO videos. That's proof positive UFOs are real. This metallic dog bowl in the dirt? is not proof positive of anything other than a lot of people are fucking dumb for believing it, that is. Alrighty, so the Google map of the area that everybody keeps posting on Reddit and Twitter and everything because it's so weird and it shows a UFO. No, it doesn't show anything. There is a glitch in one of the photos. If you zoom in, zoom in, zoom into this building, there's a glitch over the building. It's a known Google map glitch. It's a reflection in the camera lens. Boom, that's it. It's seen tons of times all over the world. It's not a UFO. Plus, it's not like Google Maps is a real-time shot of the area. Those are from like a year ago. So that's just dumb too. So now here's my little tip. Tonight, you go outside. You see a weird light in the sky. I want you to film it. A hundred percent. I want you to film it. But here's the problem. If you zoom in on a star or a light in the sky, all it does to that light is make it get bigger and blurrier. That doesn't mean there is a shining, shimmering blob orb in the sky flying above you. That's just how your phone's camera is trying to focus in on this light source that it can't focus in on. You can set your camera to manual. You can zoom in all you want and it'll be slightly better, but just try to keep it in the center of your screen. That is my tip to you because 90% of the videos coming out of Maje are people trying to zoom in and then talking to the person next to them, not watching what they're actually filming. The light is long since gone. So then they got to zoom out. Then they got to find it again. Then they got to zoom in. So then they got to zoom in Then they got to try and find it again. They're going to, you know, they lose it a lot. Look, all you have to do, keep it a little bit zoomed in, but don't zoom in too much where you can't see anything around it. You can't say, oh, I see it's where this tree is and now it's zoomed over there because you're focused in on it. You're going to lose it. It's very easy to lose something. So here is my thing. Focus in on it. Zoom in just a little bit. Keep it in the center of your screen so we can see if anything's chasing it, like a helicopter or a plane. Just keep it in the center of the screen, zoomed in just a touch, not all the way, so that I can see the surrounding area. But again, like I said, even with all of this and all these blurry photos and videos and everything else, that leaves that triangle video. That triangle video 
is great. I really, really, really think I can see a physical connection between the points of light. It is making a triangle shape. And the way it's turning in the video is very deliberate and very much not the way a plane moves. Like I said, it's turning on its axis. It is an absolutely incredible video. Um, I'll find a, a link to it and I'll put it on the Facebook page or somewhere so everybody can watch it. That's the one that makes me go, something was there. Because there were two UFOs spotted over Maje. First the triangle one, then a second orb-shaped object or objects. Something was there. Something's big enough that they're keeping people away from it. Now again, it could be that a military spy plane from America crashed or from Brazil, one of their planes went down and they just don't want people to know about it. Very possible. I am not saying these are 100% UFO videos other than the fact that it is an unidentified flying object, but something was there spotted by a lot of people. It's freaking out the townspeople because it's not the normal for the townspeople. Something's up. So ultimately, this one's hard because, like I said, every idiot on Twitter is making stuff up for hits and follows. I don't speak Portuguese, so I'm relying on Google Translate or other people to translate online. It's just not the way that I would like to get the information so I can clearly debunk or clearly say, yeah, there's something there. But like I said, something happened. Whether it was a drone, military craft, or an extraterrestrial UFO, I just don't know. But... Something happened this week. It's fresh, it's new, and everybody wanted me to talk about it. So there you go, everybody. With that bonus part of the episode or extended part of Paranormal News or whatever you want to call it, let's talk about the topic for this edition after we take a break. All righty, we are back from break. Stitches on my lap. Spontaneous human combustions are not happening in this room, thankfully. But let's talk about them. Is spontaneous human combustion even real? How many have died this way? How is it possible? Does science have an answer? Well, let's find out. Although I suppose I, sh I should start, you know, in case you don't know what spontaneous human combustion is, here's the definition. Spontaneous human combustion is the concept of the combustion or burning of a living or recently deceased human body without an apparent external source of ignition. That's right. People find ashes of human bodies and sometimes just like a foot or a hand, but everything around the body is fine. Maybe it's a little singed, but it's not torched. It's not burnt. It didn't take out the whole house, but something is turning a human body into a pile of ash. Just to let you know, the temperature it takes to turn a human body to ash is 1,500 to 1,900 degrees Fahrenheit. Celsius, you have to do that math. I'm not doing that for you. But that is hot as fuck. 1,500 to 1,900 degrees Fahrenheit. But somehow, piles of ash and like I said, sometimes a foot or a hand or a leg, have been found in easy chairs or on couches or on the toilet. Something turned the body to ash without torching 
everything else around it. How can that be, you say? Well, that's a great question because let's get into this. Let's talk about some cases first. Then we're going to deep dive the science and maybe even a little debunking behind it. From what I can find, it seems like the first cases come from the 1400s, then the 1600s. Now, obviously, I can't debunk these. They're just anecdotes. But here we go. Like I said, the first case of spontaneous human combustion is Paulinus Vorstius. Vorstius. Vorstius? Sure, why not? Paulinus, I'm just going to call him Paulinus, was an Italian knight in the late 1400s. Now, this is the weird thing. It said he consumed two ladles of very strong wine one night, and it disagreed with him. Eyewitnesses say that he immediately vomited flames, and then, like I said, the first case of spontaneous human combustion because he burst into flames entirely. Now, thankfully, no one else there had a flame vomit issue, but they watched him basically burst into flames until he was nothing but a pile of ash. Yep, that's how you kick this thing off. Alrighty, up next in 1641, a Danish doctor and mathematician, Thomas Bartholin, in his Historium Anatomicarum Rerarum, sounds like a Harry Potter spell, which is a tome catalog uh, that catalogs strange medical phenomena, described the death of another person who burst into flames in front of other people. That's right. Then, in 1673, a Frenchman named Jonas Dupont published a collection of spontaneous combustion cases in his work, De Incendius Corporeus Humani Spontaneus. I like that one. So, spontaneous human combustion has also claimed the life of at least one member of nobility, Countess Cornelia de Bandy. Now, this countess, who lived in the 1700s, was found halfway between her bed and her window one morning with everything except her lower legs and three fingers completely turned to ash. That's right. Her lower legs were there. Three of her fingers were there. The rest of her, just a pile of ash. They guess that she woke from her bed to open the window in the middle of the night, but burst into flames before she could reach the window. Now, in the room, two candles had been burned, or at least they say the tallow had been burned. The wicks were left completely unburnt. They said that the, the room was covered in soot, including some bread on a plate that she had left on the table. Here's a fun fact. According to where I got this source, the bread was then taken from the plate and offered to a dog. The dog refused to eat it because of course it did. Someone just burst into flames and their ash covered the bread. Dog's not dumb, man. Dog's not dumb. Alrighty, moving on to 1725, where Nicole Millet, the wife of a Parisian innkeeper, was found after her husband woke the entire inn because he smelled smoke. He walked into the kitchen thinking he would find the fire there, but what was left, well, what was left of her, I should say, was the wooden utensils around her were completely untouched, but she was a pile of ash. Unfortunately for him, he was tried and found guilty of her murder. On appeal, though, he used spontaneous human combustion defense and was exonerated. 
This is what they decided. Nicole's death was found to be due to a visitation of God. You know, if that's what God does to you, I don't need God coming to visit me. Look, I'd like to have a chat with God right now. I got a lot of things I'd like to talk to him. But if getting to talk to God will turn me into a pile of ash except for my feet and a couple of fingers, nah, I'm good. All right, let's keep on moving on. Let's move on to the 19th century because Charles Dickens used spontaneous human combustion to kill off one of his characters in his novel Bleak House. Critics said, Dickens, you're smoking crack, you're talking shit, there's no such thing as spontaneous human combustion. And he said, oh yeah? And he cited 30 historical cases in his defense. Good on you, Charles Dickens. Alrighty, 1885, late night Christmas Eve, in the small farming town of Seneca, Illinois, a woman named Matilda Rooney just became a pile of ash. She was alone in her kitchen. It said that uh, she was all a pile of ash except her feet. The incident also claimed the life of her husband, Patrick, who was found suffocated from the fumes in another room of the house. So this is the only one that I could find where someone else in the house was taken out by the fumes of someone turning to a pile of ash. Okay, up next in 1938, Maybell Andrews was found to be a little pile of ash right in her living room. Her fiancé and fellow partygoers were reportedly shocked when a flame erupted from her as she stood at the top of a staircase. As they watched... She poofed right into a pile of ash. She burnt up right in front of them. Then in 1951, 67-year-old widow Mary Reeser was at home in St. Petersburg, Florida. Then on the morning of July 20... Nope, on the morning of July 2nd, her landlady discovered that her front door, that Mary's front door, the handle itself was red hot, piping hot. So the landlady grabs a couple of workers and they break into the apartment to find a slipper-clad foot and what looked like a charred, shrunken skull. Yep, a shrunken skull. The first of two on this episode tonight. There's two talks of a shrunken skull. Anyhow, Mary was a pile of ash. There was a foot. There was a puddle of grease on the floor where Mary's easy chair used to be. Now, the rest of her apartment was basically fine, but for you skeptics, skeptic time, Mary was a confirmed smoker who had taken at least two sleeping pills that day. So, say she was smoking, say she fell asleep, say the cigarette started her on fire. Okay, I'll give you that one. But the shrunken skull part? What the hell is that about? Don't know, so let's keep on moving on. December 5th, 1966, the body of 92-year-old Dr. J. Irving Bentley was discovered in his Pennsylvania home by a meter reader. Well, his leg and foot were actually because the rest of it was a pile of ash in his bathroom. They found part of his incinerated robe and his walker, which was propped up against the blackened bathtub. But here's the crazy part. It was also a massive hole in the vinyl floor in the bathroom, measuring two feet wide by four feet long. 
It had burnt into the wooden floor beams and left a pile of ashes in the basement below. The rest of the house perfectly intact. The leg and foot still sitting up on top. The rest of it all down in the basement. Alrighty, in 1967, there was a passenger on the bus in England who noticed blue flames in the windows of an apartment building hallway. Now, she thought it was a gas jet, so she called the fire department. When they got to the place, they supposedly found the body of Robert Francis Bailey, who was a homeless man. Now, the firemen reported seeing a slit in the man's abdomen from which blue flames were issuing. Obviously, he was dead. Crazy? Weird? Yep, sure. But we just made it to 1970. We got a long ways to go. The next up is Margaret Hogan who was an 89-year-old widow who lived alone in Prussia Street, Dublin, Ireland, and she was found burnt on 28th of March, 1970. Now, they did find plastic flowers on the table in the center of the room. They had been reduced to liquid, and a television with a melted screen sat 12 feet from the armchair in which they found her pile of ashes. Otherwise, the rest of the house, perfectly fine. They did see, though, her two feet and both legs from below the knees completely undamaged. Here's the thing. There's a photo of this one. There's a photo of a lot of these. I'll be honest. You look up human, uh, spontaneous human combustion and you click over to Google Images, you're going to find a lot of legs and feet and fingers and then a pile of ash on an easy chair. And I mean a lot of them. This is one of them. Yep. There sure are two feet and both legs from below the knees with nothing else. It's freaking bizarre. The, uh, the inquest held on April 3rd, 1970 recorded the death by burning with the cause of the fire listed as unknown. Up next, Jeanette Kazmierczak? Kazmierczak. Doesn't matter. She's dead. Uh, she's going to be a pile of ash in a second. So she lives with her husband and son in France in the 1970s. Her husband disappears. Jeanette gets weirded out, calls the cops, try and find him. They couldn't find anything. Then, a few days later, while her son was out with some friends, a neighbor finds Jeanette's legs and a pile of ash in the otherwise perfect apartment. I couldn't find any information on what the hell happened to her husband. That's just weird. Her husband fucked off, disappeared, she killed him. No idea. But she ends up a pile of ash with two legs. Up next, a man named Henry Thomas, who is a 73-year-old man, was found burned to death in the living room of his Rousseau estate in Ebwa Vale, South Wales. In It's in South Wales. It's E-B-B-W Vale, South Wales, in 1980. That's right, we finally hit 1980. His entire body was gone, except for his skull and each leg below the knee. The feet and legs were still clothed in socks and trousers, and half of the chair in which he's been sitting on was singed, was burnt, but was still there. So, basically, he was nothing but skull and leg below the knee. 1982, this one's sad. I don't like this one. In 1982, a mentally handicapped woman named Jean Lucille Jeannie Saffin was sitting with their elderly father at their home in Edmonton, northern London. So her father looks over and freaks out because Jeannie's upper body suddenly becomes encased in flames. 
The stove appeared to be unlit and no smoke or fire damage could be found, but her dad was smoking a pipe. So the theory is an ember from the pipe landed on Jeannie. Poof, she goes up in flames right in front of her dad. So her dad starts, you know, trying to put out the fire. His son-in-law comes running and they try to put out the fire. They finally get the fire put out. They manage to take Jeannie to the hospital. She survives at this point. They take her to the hospital, but after a couple of days, she dies of third-degree burns. That one sucks. Everything about that story sucks. So let's keep on moving on. Up next, Jack Angel, which can't be his real name, who had been hospitalized with severe burns, actually brought a court case against the manufacturer of his hot water heater for $3 million. That's right, he said that the malfunctioning water heater blew and had scalded him. Here's the problem. The doctor that like looked out, looked at him to check on the burns said that the burns came from the inside out, not from the outside in. So what did Jack do? Well, he went, oh yeah, you know what? Never mind. Forget that uh, lawsuit. Sorry, everybody. He completely changed the story. And he told the judge that he had fell asleep only to wake up with terrible burns all over his body and said that he was a survivor of spontaneous human combustion. Sucks to be Jack Angel. Alrighty, 1985, Frank Baker, a Vietnam veteran living in Vermont, says that he caught fire while sitting on the couch. He said he was just sitting there, sitting on the couch, watching TV. Poof, he went up in flames but he survived. He lived to tell the tale. And he says he doesn't know what happened, how he caught on fire. He said he wasn't smoking. There was nothing there. Here we go. Here's, here comes the second shrunken skull. You ready for this one? 1986, the charred body of 58-year-old retired firefighter George Mott was found in his apartment outside of Crown Point, New York. All that was left of him was a leg a shrunken skull, and pieces of his ribcage. There we go. Two shrunken skulls from spontaneous human combustion. I don't understand how a skull can shrink. I get that, you know, shrunken heads, they pull the skull out, then they, I don't know, boil the head or whatever, and it makes a small head, but a shrunken skull? That's weird. That's really weird. All right, before we move on to the next one, a lot of the cases that I looked up all had this same thing, that coroners at the scene noted a sweet, smoky smell in the rooms where the ashes were found. That's gross. I mean, that's like, that's like, you know, like a pig in a fire pit kind of a thing. A sweet, smoky smell, that's apparently what you smell like when you burst into flames due to spontaneous human combustion. Alrighty, from 1986, let's jump ahead to 2013, where a brother-in-law, Don Carroll, said he watched his sister-in-law as her stomach burst into flames at their kitchen table. He said she was roaring like a dragon. The kitchen, was, the kitchen wasn't damaged, but her cardigan melted. They say that the inquest never sorted it out, and he goes, but I know what I saw. And that's creepy. All right, let's move on to February 2013, where 65-year-old Danny Van Zant was found burned to death in his home in Sequoia County, Oklahoma. 
They said that there were no burns of any kind on any nearby furniture. The rest of the house was perfectly fine, but he was turned to a pile of ashes. Now, the medical examiner report for him said that he had died from a heart attack before a lit cigarette ignited his clothing. How they know that? I have no idea from a pile of ashes, but that's what the story says. And speaking of Danny Van Zant, let's actually read the news article about his death. That's right. February 20th, 2013, spontaneous combustion looked at as cause of Oklahoma death. Sheriff Ron Lockhart of Sequoia County hasn't yet determined the death of 65-year-old Danny Van Zant. But he says, I don't know if it was definitely a case of spontaneous combustion, but he hasn't ruled it out either. He said, it's very unusual, it's bizarre, and I can't explain it. I'm not saying this happened, I'm just saying that we haven't ruled it out. Van Zant's brother discovered the victim in the kitchen and immediately called 911. Fire crews found a badly burned body, but no fire damage to nearby furniture or other items. There were no signs of a break-in, a struggle, or, or any other cause of death. Spontaneous combustion has long been the stuff of legend, but some research believes it's possible, though rare. In 2011, a coroner in Ireland ruled that the death of 76-year-old Michael Flaherty was the result of spontaneous human combustion. For any item to combust, well, we all know that. We know how items can combust. They said there was nothing found around Danny Van Zant, so they don't know what the hell happened. And speaking of Michael Faraday, the one I just talked that was just mentioned in that news story, Michael Faraday, 76, died at his home in Galway, Ireland in December 2010. The coroner actually marked it down as spontaneous human combustion. They say that Mr. Faraday was found with severe burns lying on his back with his head near an open fireplace. Despite the blaze, the sitting room was completely untouched apart from the burns on the ceiling directly above him and on the floor beneath him. Forensics experts who investigated the scene at Mr. Faraday's home concluded that the fireplace was not linked to his death. Dr. McLaughlin says, This fits into the category of spontaneous human combustion, for which there is no adequate explanation. Research biologist professor Brian J. Ford set out to test a theory about spontaneous human combustion because of this, and so he, what he did was he marinated abdominal tissue from pigs in acetone and lit it. He told the Cambridge News at the time, this was used to make scale models of humans, which we clothed and set alight. They burnt to ash within a half an hour. He goes on to say, for the first time, a feasible cause of human combustion has been experimentally demonstrated. But how? He, he soaked the tissue, the abdominal tissue, in acetone and then lit it. How does that do anything to demonstrate spontaneous human combustion? It just doesn't. Now, obviously, this wasn't the best experiment, but it did achieve similar results to spontaneous human combustion, and he suggested that we all act as our own candle when a spark or a flame ignites us. You know what? That brings us to science time. Now, I'm going to save the most popular theory for last, but first up, Mast cell researcher Lawrence Afrin, MD, said there is a rare condition called mast cell activation syndrome, MCAS. And this may cause people to go up in flames because mast cells spontaneous release over 200 inflammatory molecules known as mediators, including the substance noradrenaline, 
Now, he cited a case of a man with MCAS who grew ill and appeared to smoke in front of several witnesses. I'd say that's a match. Huh? Get it? That's a match? Come on. It's spontaneous human combustion. That was... That's a pretty decent joke for spontaneous human combustion. But anyhow, big words time. Dr. Afrin writes... Dr. Afrin, or Afrin, whatever, writes that the release of large amounts of norepinephrine or perhaps another mast cell-derived substance could turn on a regulatory protein called UCP-1. In greater than normal amounts, UCP-1 causes adipose oxidation to be released as heat. Adipose tissue is a known respiratory of mast cells. Under the right circumstances, a sudden flow of that stuff released from adipose mast cells could activate the UCP-1 switch and cause heat generation in excess of 90 degrees Celsius. Once that tissue is ignited, in theory, it could burn itself inclusive of bone marrow. That's creepy. I do not want mast cell activation syndrome. That sounds like a horrible, horrible trick to be standing there and being like, hey guys, watch this. Poof, I'm smoking. It doesn't get much better because I'm actually burning inside. That sounds horrible. Alrighty, another theory. British chemist Dr. John Emsley suggests that the cases of spontaneous human combustion could be the result of an overproduction of pyrophoric liquid, diphosphane, or diphosphane, in the gut. Now, he says that the self-combustion of diphosphane, and I'm sure that's wrong, I don't care, would also result in the ignition of the hydrogen and methane gases in our guts, which would explain why there's blue flames that were seen in some of these cases. He's saying that blue flame, that's the methane inside all of us. Hydrogen burns with a pale blue flame. Nope. Next. There is a rare medical condition called Stevens-Johnson syndrome that may, may, in extreme cases, may be mistaken for a case of spontaneous human combustion. The skin disease, which can be triggered by a toxic reaction to medications, including antibiotics and prescription painkillers, causes the appearance of severe burns and blisters and can be fatal. You can burn from the inside. Let's go to wacky land for a second because other quote-unquote experts have suggested that sunspots or cosmic storms may cause spontaneous human combustion with absolutely zero proof given anywhere. And I mean anywhere. I was hoping for the shred of let's go down this rabbit hole for a minute, but nope. Nope, nothing. Someone just said, Oh, I know it causes spontaneous human combustion. Sunspots or cosmic storms. And that's about it. It's stupid. Okay, let's keep on going. It's also been suggested by quote-unquote experts that the fire begins because of static electricity building up inside the body from an external geomagnetic force. Again, no proof. It's all bullshit. Debunk bullshit. Nothing to do with anything. Moving on. Then we have another expert, quote-unquote expert. His name is Larry. Not going to give you his last name because it's dumb. Who says he has a very simple explanation for spontaneous human combustion. It's caused by a new subatomic particle called pyroton. 
which he says interacts with cells to create mini explosions. Yet again, no proof of this exists at all. In fact, there is no subatomic particle called pyroton, Larry. Larry, you're talking shit. Alrighty, let's keep on moving on. Let's go back to 1988 when forensic scientist John DeHaan did an experiment that was televised on the BBC where he wrapped a pig corpse in a blanket, then lit the garment ablaze with some petrol. The pig's body fat liquefied, adding more fuel. This liquefied body fat basically cooked the pig. They said a few hours later, he put out the fire. Bam! Pig's flesh and bones were turned to ash with almost no damage to the surrounding room at all. What is this called? Well, it's called the Wick Effect. Not the John Wick Effect. That's where you kill a dog and he gets pissed off and, you know, kills you. This is the Wick Effect. This is the theory that I can get behind. This is the theory that explains a lot of what I've been talking about on tonight's episode. The Wick Effect theory basically says that a person is burned through his or her own fats after being ignited accidentally. So there still needs to be an external ignition to them. Whether it's a cigarette or a spark from a fire or something, candle, something ignites them. Then the clothed human body acts like an inside-out candle. The fuel source is the human fat inside, and the wick is the clothing of the victim outside. So there's a continuous supply of fuel in the form of melting fat, which is seeping into the victim's clothing. That fat contains a large amount of energy due to the presence of long hydrocarbon chains. This would explain the greasy residue on walls and carpets nearby the body, and also why legs, feet, or hands don't burn because there just isn't a lot of fat in them. Now, an extensive two-year research project involving 30 historical cases of spontaneous human, human combustion was conducted in 1984 by science investigator Joe Nickel and forensic analyst John F. Fisher. Fisher. According to Nickel and Fisher's investigation, nearby objects often remained undamaged because fire tends to burn upwards, but burns laterally with some difficult. Now, the fire in questions are relatively small, achieving considerable destruction by the wick effect, and relatively nearby objects may not be close enough to catch fire themselves. Nickel and Fisher go on to say that a single, simplistic explanation for all unusual burning deaths cannot be done. They do not know what happened to all of these people, but they urge investigating on an individual basis to see if the wick effect is what caused the current one. Like, if, say tomorrow, the police get called in for a spontaneous human combustion. These two guys, Nickel and Fisher, are saying, boom, focus on this case and this case alone. Does what we're doing in our research, does it match what you see in front of you? Chances are, it will. So, yeah. The wick effect is probably the cause of most spontaneous human combustion, but still doesn't explain every case and why the victims don't seem to move, wake up, put themselves out. Why some people said, hey, they were right there in front of us and boom, they just caught on fire. 
They didn't see an ember hit them and the ember started burning. Oh, look, their shirt's burning a little bit. No, they're saying their stomach was burning blue directly in front of them out of nowhere. Look, it would explain, the wick effect would explain why it doesn't happen very often. I mean, you have to have these very specific scenarios that happen. The spark or the cigarette or the candle or whatever has to light you while you're asleep or drunk or passed out or have sleeping pills so you can't wake up. And then, yeah, you turn yourself into the worst candle imaginable. Apparently a sweet, smoky-scented candle, but still, that sounds terrible. And the wick effect also explains why cows aren't bursting into flames constantly from all the methane building up inside of them. I mean, if you want to go by that methane one, that methane theory, it seems like every time you drive down the highway and you see a bunch of cows, 10% of them should just, boom, burst into flames, cooking themselves. Sure, it'd be a great way to get some ribs and some steaks, but, and they're, you know, it's fresh cooked right there in front of you. They gotta be good. Sounds like a delicious way for a bunch of cows to die if you like meat, but the wick effect. Yep. Makes sense. Is it weird? Yeah. Are the pictures gruesome? Hell yeah. Am I 100% sure the wick effect is the cause for every one of those that I just read to you? There's more. There's hundreds of these cases. Am I sure that the wick effect is the cause for these? Nope. The wick effect does not explain two, two shrunken skulls in one episode. Not at all. Ultimately, I don't know how we'll ever know what's happening unless I guess it's caught on camera or there's an eyewitness that's right there watching and, you know, making sure like you're not on fire, right? You're not on fire, right? You're not on fire, right? You know, no embers, no, no, no cigarettes, no nothing. Your stomach okay. doesn't feel all squirrel. Oh, you're on fire. You know, like how, how the hell are we supposed to be there for a spontaneous human combustion. They're rare as shit. There was one girl, she was right there with her dad. He put her out with his hands. She died sadly, but there was an eyewitness. Explain that one to me. Even if there was an ember from his pipe and that ember hit her and because she was special needs, for whatever reason, she didn't put the fire out. I don't buy that. I just don't. I don't know. I don't think that we're ever going to really find out what causes every case of spontaneous human combustion. Is it all one thing? Maybe some of them, maybe some of them are the wick effect. Maybe some of them are that horrible disease, the, the Stevens Johnson thing, or even worse, that, uh, that, uh, mast cell activation syndrome where that guy started smoking in front of people. That's a real case. Real shit like that happens. So Yeah. I don't know. There you go. That's an episode all about spontaneous human combustion as requested by one of the patrons. It's creepy. I'm, I'm telling you, look at the photos. They'll stick with you for a while. I don't know if I want to put any of the photos up on the Facebook because they are gruesome, you know, photos of people's legs and ash. I mean, it's pretty creepy. So I guess, um, let's see, I always end them with a question. Let me ask you this. Would you want to spontaneously combust? Look, I don't have a lot of questions I can ask about this topic. So 
Let's just go with that. Do you want to spontaneous combust? No, me neither. Sounds terrible. Yep, that's the question for this episode. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal? Thank God I didn't combust spontaneously. Almanac. Now I reveal my hair. Her dark belly will laugh. Why do you snow sit?